Well, this morning, uh, I have the honor and privilege of introducing to you our guest speaker this morning, uh, Tony McFadden. Um, she is going to join us this morning. She's going to speak to us. She's a pro-life advocate and speaker. Uh, she's also the founder of Relationships Matter program. And uh, Tony is going to come, and she's going to share her story and her heart with us this morning. So would you welcome Tony as she, as she joins us this morning? Can you hear me okay? I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for the worship, Matt, and everyone who was worshiping, leading worship. Um, That last song really, I believe, fits with what I'm going to be speaking about today because I just kept hearing as we were singing that it's his breath. It's not ours. It's his. And just thinking of those who may not know him and they don't realize how the grace on their lives because he is the one waking them up every morning. He is the one breathing his breath into them. And the fact that we know that is powerful and not to take life for granted. Um, and that we get to use our gifts and our callings to glorify his name is a powerful thing. Um, I wanted to say thank you to Pastor Paul and Leslie. I'm so sad I don't get to meet you in person, but we'll have to make that happen. But thank you so much for allowing me to come here and share my heart on a topic that I know isn't easy to talk about, but I believe the Lord has gifted me in a way to be able to relay this message that will empower us as the body of Christ. So before we even begin, um, I need the Lord's help in that. So if we could pray one more time. Holy Spirit, would you come? You are already here. I don't even need to ask you to come. You are here and you are in this place. Lord, I ask that you would help me to be your vessel, to share what you would want your people to hear this morning, Lord. God, I know what's on my heart, Lord, but I'd rather say what is on your heart. You know the stories of everyone sitting in this room. You know exactly what they need to hear. And I thank you that you're an intimate God. I thank you, Lord, that you are so detailed as you walk us through this life. God, I ask for freedom. I ask for your anointing. I ask that hearts would be changed and that we would be empowered by your spirit to walk in, in love, forgiveness, and grace. Lord, I thank you for the cross. I thank you, Lord, that none of us would be here proclaiming your name if you did not open our eyes to the truth. And we lay this service down at your feet, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to blow on it and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I am a pro-life activist and and speaker, and this has been a journey for me to get to this place. And I'm not sure if you know, but in a couple of weeks, um, January 16th is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And that's where churches all around the United States will um, acknowledge the over 62 million babies who have lost their lives 
from abortion. Again, I want to explain that I know this is not an easy thing to talk about, but as I said, I believe the Lord has gifted me um, to be able to share with you um, with compassion, but also with conviction. Uh, Abortion is the greatest human rights issue in our country. It's the greatest human rights issue we are facing in America. And I cannot think of anything I would rather do than stand and be a voice for the voiceless, to be a voice for preborn babies. But I also want to be a voice for the mothers. We love them both. We have to love them both because their crisis, what they're going through, is real. So we need to acknowledge that as well. I want to begin um, by saying that I have been I have been the woman in that crisis, and I will get more into my story later. But I want to bring that across so that you know I've been there. I've sat in that abortion clinic. I've been that scared teenage girl who thought abortion was my only option. But what I've learned in my journey um, in following Jesus is that he's too good to keep us where we are. And he will use everything. He does not waste anything. So this is why it is always an honor and a privilege for me to even be able to speak on this topic because it shows the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of our God. So before I begin, um, there's two basically uh, uh, points that I want to make, and we could put that first point on up here. It says, God's perspective of life in the womb should define how we value life in the womb. And number two, a lack of God's perspective in the womb will cause us to devalue life. Because if we don't have his perspective of life, we degrade it. We don't see, we see it through our lens instead of his. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. So again, uh, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, this is why I was um, telling Pastor Rob, I'm booked all, every single Sunday except for one, (laughs) because this is the time where a lot of churches will talk about this. But I'm believing that it won't be just in the month of January that churches begin to talk about this that it will be more than just um, around Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. So I have an opportunity to encourage you, church. I have an opportunity to educate you, to be a voice for our most vulnerable, because I can't do it on my own. You may or may not know this, and we can go to this next slide. The The number one cause of death globally in 2020... According to Worldometer, you can look this up, December 31st, 2020, there were 42.7 million abortions performed in the course of the year, while 8.2 million people died of cancer, 5 million from smoking, 1.7 million from HIV AIDS, and 1.8 million from the current pandemic. That's not to make light of any of the other deaths, but however... 42.7 42.7 million. These are not, na- abortion is not a natural death. So globally, you can go to the next slide. There were more deaths from abortion in 2020 than all deaths from cancer, malaria, HIV AIDS, 
smoking, alcohol, traffic accidents combined. And you can look that up on Worldometer. They kind of do this kind of study all the time. And here's the thing about abortion. Uh, the abortion industry does not have, you know, a national board where they have to actually tell you the actual numbers. So the numbers are probably higher than what we're really even given as a church. That should shatter our hearts. Because we know from scripture that not only is God the creator of life, therefore he is the one who defines life and defines the value of life. But as human beings, we do not have the right to redefine what life is. We do not have the right to devalue life. The foundation of everything that I will be speaking about comes from Genesis 1, verses 26 through 27. I'm sure you've heard this so many times. But it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move around the ground, along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That alone gives everyone who is born value. Born, pre-born, born. Because we are all created in the image of God. That alone gives someone value. That's why I can um, look at someone who I don't know, and maybe they're not a believer, but I see value in them. Why? Because they're created in the image of God. I don't get to define that. He does. Here's the definition of abortion. Abortion is the direct an intentional killing of an innocent life in a mother's womb. I'm going to say that again. Abortion is the direct and intentional killing of an innocent human life inside the mother's womb. Abortion says, I decide if you have value based on if I want you or not. And that brings me back to my first point about God's perspective of life in the womb should define how we value life in the womb. Why and how does God show in his word that he values life? How does he show that? And we already read in Genesis 1 that he does that. But also very familiar verses as well is in um, Psalm 139, 13 through 16. Now again, I know you've heard this before, but in the lens of what I'm talking about, I want you to hear this scripture in a different way. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. That verse right there, made in the secret place. Before a mother even knows she's pregnant, the Lord is knitting 
this baby together in the womb. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Psalm 127.3 Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring are reward from them for him. Proverbs 31.8 And this is the action for us as the church. Speak up for those who cannot speak up for, them, for themselves, for the rights of the, all who are destitute. So you can see the world and those who would call themselves pro-choice are not looking at human life this way. They are devaluing them based on the circumstance or um, because they don't want religion to be a part of that. That's not our identity. That's not our worldview. And we don't have to cave behind those arguments. We need to hear them. We can see them. Um, I was telling Matt earlier when I was talking to him earlier about this, I say, I always ask questions of the pro-choice side. Because I, I want you to explain your position to me of why you believe what you believe. I don't want to tell you or make assumptions. I want you to have to break that down and explain to me. And usually it breaks down not in a good way. But Jesus did that. He asked really good questions so people had to reveal their own hearts. That's not my job. My job is to ask these questions and let the Lord do the rest. I did not always see God's perspective and value for my own life, let alone the value of preborn babies. So I was a senior in high school, and I remember sitting in the waiting room of an abortion facility. And sitting right across from me was my boyfriend, my off-and-on boyfriend for two years, and my best friend was sitting next to me. So these are the two closest people in my life but in this moment, I feel absolutely alone. And I'm sitting here for the first time thinking, how did I get to this place? And what I realized it was, it wasn't just this act alone or this event alone that brought me to this place. It was decisions I was making long before. Each and every one of us is building what I would call a foundation for our lives. And we're either building on what is true, or you're building on whatever you feel like and whatever you feel is best for you. And I was born into a sandy foundation, I would say, and um, didn't always have the best view of what relationships were supposed to look like. And when you don't have God as your foundation... You're grabbing onto anything to give you some kind of worth. And by the time I got into high school, I was kind of following along with whatever my friends were doing. And I thought, you know, this is the first guy that really paid attention to me. He was a year um, older than me in school. He was 
I'm the quarterback on the football team. No, I was not a cheerleader. <laughs> but he was attractive. He was older. He was like 6'2". And the first guy who actually really paid attention to me. Now, in my mind, I thought, we could just do everything, but we won't do everything. You know what I mean by that? And But then all my friends around me were already. So I thought, oh, well, maybe it wouldn't matter. Well, things started to turn um, my senior year. My senior year, he went off to college. And because I was insecure, I thought, well, maybe if we sleep together, then he won't leave me. Now, that sounds ridiculous coming out of my mouth now, <laughs> because I know who I am, and that's just not what I stand for anymore. <clears throat> but when you're a teenager trying to figure out the world around you, and everyone else seems to be going that exact same way, you think it's just normal. And then I found myself sitting in this waiting room. And I'm sitting across from this guy who I've given my heart to, I've given my time to, I've given everything to, and I can't take that back. But in that moment, I wanted to. Because what I realized is that I knew I was about to make a decision <clears throat> that was going to affect me for the rest of my life. But I was known as, like, the good girl in my family. Like, my parents didn't really worry about me. I had good grades. I was always in activities. I was always in sports. And so on the outside, it always looked like I was fine. And some of my other siblings were kind of in trouble a lot. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and I, they just didn't have to worry. There were six of us. And if you didn't have to worry about one, <laughs> you know, that was great. So... I thought my parents would not forgive me for this if I told them I was in this position. You know, how was I supposed to go to college? So the day that I found out I was pregnant, my boyfriend said, you don't want to keep it, do you? And my best friend said, you cannot keep this baby. And I justified aborting my baby mainly out of fear. I remember when they called my name um, in the abortion facility to get a sonogram. Why do you need to get a sonogram? They want to know how far along you are so they know how much money you're going to have to pay. I was seven weeks along. The monitor, when I lay down, was faced away from me. And for some reason, I asked if I could see the monitor, and the nurse was kind of frustrated with me, which kind of surprised me. She's, you don't need to see that. But I insisted. And as she turned it around, before I could say anything, she said, see, it's nothing. It's just the size of a pea. And in my uneducated teenage mind, I thought, okay, it's not a baby. I knew it was a baby, but in that moment, she gave me false hope. It didn't look like a baby on the screen. As I said, I was seven weeks along. 
She did not tell me that my baby already had a heartbeat. She didn't tell me that at conception, my baby's DNA, the blueprint for their entire life, was already established. How tall they would be. Their eye color, their skin tone. Everything that would be unique to them, it would never be created again, ever. If I only knew then what I know now. I was given the RU486 pill, also known as the abortion pill. It's a chemical abortion. Now, think of this. I'm a senior in high school. They're giving me these pills to take home, to take. They gave me the first set of pills in the, in the facility. The um, doctor said, I say doctor, um, says, take these first set of pills. He dropped them in a cup of juice. And he said, this will stop the, the pregnancy. He didn't say baby. What these pills did was they caused the baby to detach from the uterus so the baby no longer received nourishment or blood flow. What it's blocking is the um, is progesterone, the hormone progesterone. And that's what you know feeds this baby and connects um, this baby to the mother. And so what this, these pills do is it blocks that. And then 24 to 48 hours later, after the baby has starved to death and passed away, you take the second set of pills to expel pregnancy. But my pills didn't work. And I'm still not sure why. Two months later, while I was in school, I started getting the most excruciating pains I've ever felt in my entire life. And out of fear, I didn't tell the school nurse what was going on, but the last thing I remember is, and this is not to be graphic on purpose, but this is the reality of abortion, and most people think, oh, it's seven weeks, that's okay. No, there were blood clots the size of my fist leaving my body. I was hemorrhaging. I didn't know what hemorrhaging was. I'm a teenager. I don't know any of this. But I remember laying in fetal position in my bed, praying all of this would be over. And let me not forget to mention, my boyfriend broke up with me the day after he went to the abortion facility with me. So not only was I dealing with the heartbreak of that, but I just went through something very traumatic all by myself. And my life began to spiral out of control. And I wasn't even making the connection between my abortion and my actions afterwards. One thing I do want to point out, and I don't have a slide for this, but this is something very important for all of you to know, is that if a girl ever takes the RU486 pills, she takes the first set and she regrets it. They have what's called the abortion pill reversal. Abortionpillreversal.com, she can get either a pill form or an injection of progesterone and that can protect and save the baby's life. But that has to be done very quickly within 24, 48 hours. 
Um, there have been so many babies that have been saved from that process. God is good. And we have doctors who want to <laughs> protect life and preserve life and not take life. So right now the FDA has lifted the restrictions for the RU486 pills where you, they want to be able to distribute them through the mail. How harmful is that? How many boyfriends are going to get these pills and just put them in? You know, It's just a dangerous, horrible thing. But on the other side, we need to know and be educated that there are ways that you can even talk a girl out of this and be able to provide her with other resources. Um, a lot of pregnancy resource centers are able to have nurses um, be able to distribute um, this to um, reverse that. So as I mentioned, my life began to spiral out of control. And as I said, when you don't have Christ, your foundation is all over the place. And But what I said before was that I love that God does not waste anything. God was still, as I look back, pursuing me, even in the midst of that. I started um, going to uh, Westchester University. I transferred there as I was going to school in my hometown. And I don't know, at a, and somewhere I was just like, I can't stay in this town anymore. It just reminded me of so much of my past. And I was trying to run away from my past at this point. And I was in all these meaningless relationships because after this point, I was like, oh, well, who cares? Doesn't matter. So I was going from relationship to relationship. I was drinking more. I was doing all these things. And I didn't even like who I was. And God knew that. And I couldn't explain that to people, but my actions were very destructive. But a friend of mine who happened to live in the dorm with me, um, she invited me out to um, a ministry called Campus Crusade. I'm sure you've heard of that before. It was on a college campus. And I remember walking into the meeting. Now, this was a Thursday night, which on college campus is Thursday, Thursday. Most college students are not at a church service, okay? So I decided to go with her, and I remember walking in, and there was about 200 students there. And they had already started worship. And I could still see their faces in my mind to this day. There was this calmness. There was joy. There was hands raised. And I was thinking, their parents aren't even forcing them to be here. <laughs> yeah, they want to be here. And I remember walking through the aisle and sitting down and having this overwhelming sense of, I want to cry right now. And I have no idea why I want to cry. And I remember the atmosphere being different. And it was because God was there. And throughout, like as I said, throughout worship, I just wanted to cry. And the words in the songs just made me want to cry. And I kept feeling like, how do they know what's going on with me? <laughs> Almost. And now I understand that it was the Lord pursuing my heart. Because he knew how unhappy I was, and um, I knew I had no idea how to change my life. And I was desperate. My roommate had gone home early that weekend. And as soon as that meeting was over, I walked back into my dorm room. I shut the door, and I just started sobbing. Because <laughs> I was holding it in the whole time. And I said this childlike prayer. 
And it wasn't like a sinner's prayer. It was just out of desperation because I had grown up going to church here and there. It wasn't consistent, but I knew about God. I would even said, I know Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. I said, obviously knowing that is different than really knowing that. And for all these years, I thought I knew, but I didn't really know. And I really believe the Lord saw fit to rescue my soul that night. He wasn't looking for me to have perfect words. He just wanted a desperate heart. And I'm living proof that God can take the dark places of our hearts and make something absolutely beautiful out of it. The things we want to hide and the things we think we have to keep a secret, the devil likes to use that. It holds us captive. And I'm not saying that you have to stand in front of a whole bunch of people and like <laughs> say all these things. But um, when you share it with someone, it's like the enemy can't use that anymore. Now, as a Christian, though, I was open with telling people, okay, I didn't save sex for marriage, and now I am waiting but for some reason, I could not tell people I had an abortion. I thought that was the one thing Christians weren't going to forgive me for. And it took me three years to share openly about that. And I remember God just wanting to dismantle all of those lies about that. And he used a girl from my church. Um, she, I was about to graduate college and a friend of mine said, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do after college. Um, I was a vocal major, but I also minored in uh, communications. And it was interesting because I would speak on saving sex for marriage in my college speeches. And some of the students would be like, what did she just say? I'm like, I'm waiting for marriage. <laughs> and um, I was very open about that, and I would, you know, share about that. And so a friend of mine said, oh, you need to talk to my friend. She speaks on, in schools on saving sex for marriage. I think you'd be great at that. And so as we, I met with her, I remember her saying these words, I work for a crisis pregnancy center. And my heart starts pounding in my chest. And everything was like blurry because I was, she was talking, but I wasn't hearing her. And I'm like, wait, what did she say? Yeah, what we do is this is the preventative part. Like we have girls, you know, obviously that end up in these situations, but we have, we want to meet them before that happens. So what I do is I go into the schools and she had a team of people that, you know, we're waiting for marriage and we share with them. It's, we can't talk about God, um, in the public schools, but we're giving them God's truth and telling them their worth. And I was like, this would be so perfect for me. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking about my abortion and you know when the Holy Spirit gives you that nudge, you know. <laughs> and I began to share that with her. And the compassion, instead of the judgment in her, began to break my walls down. And I remember her saying to me, do you know how many girls need to hear that story? The hardest part of my healing 
I was acknowledging that I ended the life of my child. I can tell you many circumstances of why I felt like that was my only option, but that would be a lie. It was not my only option. Nothing justifies ending an innocent life. Someone's value is not determined by their size or where they reside. So, that second point I said, a lack of God's perspective in the womb will cause us to devalue life. I'm going to put up um, a picture in two of them I'm sure you've seen before. Um, Now, I know this is 2019 for the baby, but we can bump that. still the same and hasn't changed. The other two have, right? So the first picture is whipped Peter. He escaped from slavery. And when they exposed his scars during a medical examination, they said this picture made slavery's brutality impossible to deny. We have seen and heard of the evil of the Holocaust that killed over 6 million Jews. And as I mentioned earlier, over 42.7 million babies globally have died. Um, 62 million babies in America since Roe v. Wade was passed in 1973. This is what happens when we devalue life. And the babies, as I said, it's still going on today as we speak. The next picture. I've often heard people say that, from the pro-choice side, people don't enjoy having an abortion. We want it to be safe, legal, and rare, which they've changed that language to. This is from Argentina. Days before the new year, Argentina celebrated, cried, and rejoiced because after 36 years, and I'm quoting them now, after 36 years of struggle and dedication of our sisters, legal abortion has been approved in the Argentine state. It's a historic day. Look at the faces on these women. They're crying. Filled with joy. Because it's legal to end the lives of their children in the womb. If you haven't noticed, this is a spiritual battle. This is not about pro-choice and pro-life. This is a spiritual battle because the enemy hates God's image bearers. And if he can get them before they even leave the womb, he will do that. We have Planned Parenthood selling baby parts. If they're not babies, why are you selling baby parts? Look it up. The Pittsburgh University, they've been caught doing this. David Delilah, uh, he is from California. Look him up. He exposed all of this. This is what happens when we devalue life. And they hide behind words like reproductive rights, a a woman's right to choose. They don't care about women. But there's nothing new under the sun. Child sacrifice happened in the Bible. Jeremiah 32, 34 through 35. I think I have that verse you can put up. They set up their vile images 
in the house that bears my name and defiled it. They built high places for Baal in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech. So what they would do was they'd play really, really loud music and they would offer their babies to Molech. And you know why they played the music really loud? So that you wouldn't hear the cries of the babies as they tossed them in the fire. It just looks different. Now it's in nice little buildings called Planned Parenthood and abortion clinics. They're doing the same thing. Children sacrificed to demons. It was an offering to Molech. And you can research this further um, because of time. I can't go into all of them, but Leviticus 18.21. You can look through that. Um, also Leviticus 23, um, chapter 20, verse 3, Deuteronomy 12.30, um, chapter 18.10, and Psalm 106, and 37, verse 37. And as I said, I believe we're still making sacrifices today. We are making sacrifices on the altar of reproductive rights and a woman's right to choose. Next slide. Here's some facts about abortion. Here's some reasons why uh, women undergo an abortion. 74% having a baby would traumatically change their life. 73% can't afford a baby right now. 48% don't want to be a single mom or having relationship problems. 38% have completed my childbearing. 1% victim of rape. 0.5% pregnancy is a result of incest. Now, I'm pointing this out for a couple of reasons. Number one, this is from Guttmacher Institute. If you don't know who Guttmacher is, he was a a eugenicist. This is a liberal, (laughs) um, this is from a liberal website. Okay, so this is not from a pro-life site. This is actually from a liberal site who was for abortion. This is a percentage because I get a lot of people who will say to me, well, what about a woman who is raped? What do you say about that? Number one, I'm going to look at that woman and say, that should have never happened to you. That is horrific. No one should have something taken away from them that wasn't theirs. I'm also going to say that that baby should not have to pay for the crime of its father. That father should get the highest degree (laughs) done to him, which in the United States, he's never going to get the death penalty. He's never going to get the death penalty. He might be out in a year, maybe even less. So I'm not going to say that the child should pay the death penalty for what the rapist did. Is that a difficult situation? Yes, but an abortion is not going to erase the rape. A lot of times it's trauma on top of trauma. I have a friend who was conceived from rape, and you'll hear a little bit um, 
on a video that I'll show you, but he says, I am not the residue of my father. I'm the resilience of my birth mother because she gave him life. I think we rip the opportunity of beauty coming out of suffering when we tell a woman your only option is to abort this baby. And so we do have to look at this woman and hear her and see her, and, but don't assume also that that's what she wants to do. But a lot of times, the real question, the, re- really, the real reason why they're asking that is because they want to justify all the other abortions that are usually out of convenience. So I am, <laughs> I was telling Matt this as well, I am pro-life from womb to tomb. I don't think, I want abortion to be abolished. Ended. Every single human being should have the right to be born. And when Roe versus Wade is overturned, when Roe versus Wade is overturned, the church, we need to be the church to these women who are still going to have sex outside of marriage, who are still going to face crisis pregnancies. This is when we rise up. We should have risen up a long time ago, but (laughs) this is where we rise up and we be the church to these women. And this is when we go and we are speaking life into our children and telling them to value sex and relationships and holding them a high standard and not letting the world teach them that. Here's a woman that I hope you know who she is. This is Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger was the founder of Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger was a racist. And she teamed up with the American Eugenics Society, which Alan Guttenmacher, who, who I just talked about, was on that board. She infamously said, we don't want word to get out that we want to eliminate the Negro population. The number one killer in the black community is abortion. This is why I speak about this. Part of the reason. Here is a real tweet from Planned Parenthood a couple of years ago. If you are a black woman in America, it's statistically safer to have an abortion than to carry out a pregnancy. Right? The audacity. They... I mean, I could go on a tangent (laughs) about this. But when I'm speaking to young black girls, I'm saying they're targeting us for a reason. The reason the black community has remained stagnant is because Planned Parenthood kills 360 black babies a day. Planned Parenthood kills in two weeks what took the KKK one century to do. You can put up that next slide. 88% of abortion clinics are strategically placed in low-income and minority areas. We make up about 12% of the population, and it's decreasing. 
Pastor Clenard Childress, he's from Philadelphia, he said, the most dangerous place for a black person to be is in the womb of their black mother. That has to end. This is probably one of the hardest conversations that I have within the black community. But it's real. I mean, they're, they're in within walking distance in every major city. They're on the college campuses, obviously. But um, I think I have a picture of this. Is it the next slide um, of me? Yes. Okay. So I went to Baltimore, and they there's a Planned Parenthood right there, and it says, it talks about, it has all these pictures of, like, families, and it's all black families. But yet what they're doing in there is killing them. And we painted on the street, black preborn lives matter, because if our babies are not valued in the womb, this is why I believe we're not valued outside of the womb. We have to raise the standard. In New York City, a certain governor passed a law that allowed abortion all the way up to nine months for any reason. And I didn't put the video of this, but they clapped and cheered and smiled about this. And you know what else they did? You can show that picture. They lit up the World Trade Center in pink. How demonic is that? They're celebrating death. What is there to cheer about ending the lives of innocent preborn babies? And for years, in New York City, more black babies were aborted than born alive. I can't be silent about that. I cannot be silent about this issue. We cannot be silent about this issue. Because God cares about this. So the black community has not grown, as I said, and we've remained stagnant because of abortion. And um, I had some friends um, from Live Action. They did a video um, to show that, you know, it's rare, which I'm praying it's not going to be rare any longer, (laughs) that we're talking about this in the black community. But they made this video to give a picture that we are awake and we do know the agenda of Planned Parenthood and it's going to stop. So we can play that video quick. a citizen, and a woman, and I am not willing to stand aside and allow this concept of expendable human lives to turn this great land of ours into just another exclusive reservation 
where only the perfect, the privileged, and the planned have the right to live. The number one killer in the black community is the direct and intentional killing of a human life inside the black woman's womb. Race became an issue in the reproductive health care debate with the introduction of Margaret Sanger and Clarence Gamble's Negro Project in 1939 that sought to bring about a major birth rate reduction among American Negroes. We do believe that more than anything else, abortion is racism. It is a way of pruning, if you will, the black population. There's a target on the black community as well as other minorities, and we're saying that it's black genocide. It is time for us to wake up and stop this Holocaust. We know that life begins at uh, conception. Abortion is black genocide. According to the Centers for Disease Control, over 19 million unborn black children have been aborted since Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973. What we've seen every year for the last several decades is about 60 million innocent pre-born babies killed on the planet Earth. It's a global holocaust and war against babies. But what happens to the soul of a nation when we allow thousands of babies to be aborted every day? My son was born a little less than six months. He was born 2.1 pounds when he came into the world. I think I'm holding my son in the palm of my right hand down to 1.9. I think I'm holding him for the last time. Mm. And that's when God answered my prayer. And he simply said, Walter, this is what's supposed to be on the inside of a woman. And at that point, I knew. I bought that story that it was to help my community and that it would make a stronger community. But when I realized that those were little babies, not lumps of flesh, as we were told so many times, then I knew that we were harming not just the babies, not our own bodies, but our communities and our faith. My birth mom experienced the horror and the violence of rape, but rejected the further violence of abortion. I'm not the residue of the rapist. I'm the resilience of my birth mom. Will ending abortion solve all the problems in our community? Of course not. But we will not solve any problem in our community while abortion still exists. This is the beginning of a new civil rights movement. And I want you to know that you are part of a movement of hope. This is an extension of the civil rights movement. This is the human rights movement of our day. Abortion is the civil rights fight of our day. And we'll keep marching until Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton are finally trampled under our feet. And so my challenge was to men, including myself, to stand up for these women and also to stand for the pre-born. Our ancestors did not break the chains of slavery. They didn't escape the plantations and the cotton field just so we could actually then take power and give it to political people who are there to wipe us out. Black, white, Republican, Democrat, male or female, because we know that in unity we must fight. All of you, regardless of your race, regardless of your ethnic group, I would encourage you to join the voices of those long ago. Serge Douglas is not alive today. Harriet Tubman is not alive today. Those many great leaders are not alive today. But I, along with my husband, Dr. James J. Thompson, Jr., and millions across this great nation, we take up the torch where they left off, and we say, let the slaves go free.
I could watch that so many times, and it still stirs this empowerment in me to keep using my voice because this matters. I found that as I was obedient to God and I allowed him to heal me and he began to put that identity in me as we were talking about earlier during worship. And it helped me to be more bold because this is not an easy thing to talk about. I mean, when I um, write about it, post about it on social media, you should see my DMs. <laughs> you should see the things that people write to me. But you know what? I'm not living for them. I'm honoring my King of Kings. He, it's his breath in my lungs. It, it, it is him that has caused me, has made me into a masterpiece to do what I'm called to do on this side of heaven. You know, God is so good because not only did he redeem me, but he went beyond what I could ever think or imagine. Remember that boyfriend from high school that I had that abortion with? And I told you he left me and just decided not to talk to me ever again. Well, almost nine or so years later, he came back to apologize to me. He had been looking for me for about two years and Little did I know that God had saved his life out of a life of drugs and addiction. And when he came back to apologize to me, I remember him saying it was easier for him to walk out of that relationship because he didn't want to have to face the fact that we ended the life of our child. And in that moment, I realized abortion does not just affect women that it does affect men. Why? Because God has called men to protect. And as a believer now, he knew, not only did I not protect you, but I did not protect my own child. And less than a year later, he put this ring on my finger. We have been married for 12 years. Um, you could put that picture up. Of... Yep. And the next picture is on our wedding day. A friend of mine made a wedding shadow box for me. I had had an, a memorial service for my baby. And... We told our guests that we were lighting an extra candle to honor our unborn baby. Because we believe that every time we share our story, that our child is no longer a statistic, but that their life is saving lives. What the enemy tried to use for evil, God turned around for good. And God saw it fit to bless us with four children. 
But you know, when we look at our children, we know what our child would have looked like. And we will always have the regret, but we'll always be amazed that this, that God is always going towards us in love. He didn't have to do this for us. It's amazing stories like this that occur that connects our past to God and how he redeems. And only he can do that. My calling will always forever be to fight for the unborn. I would not be able to do that if my life was not hidden in Christ. So if you're listening today and you have a similar story as mine, please know that you have a God that's going towards you, towards love, not condemnation. And I would love to talk with you afterwards if that's something you would like to do. But I can guarantee God will heal you. I have seen God do far greater things in my obedience and in my surrender than I could have ever imagined. So what do you do now? Maybe you have a fire lit in your heart about this. What do you do? I know Pastor Paula spoke about you connected with a crisis pregnancy center nearby. Volunteer there. Donate to them. I mean, Planned Parenthood has a lot of money. They have a lot of lobbyists. They're getting a lot of our money. And so it seems like we're not, you know, making a difference, but we are. Um, as I mentioned before, I work for, I used to um, work for and still volunteer for um, uh, the biggest student ministry called, uh, why can't I think right now, um, Students for Life of America. And they are trying to make right now legislation that, um, adoption is made easier in the United States. They are also have a campaign called Stand For You where they're helping girls that are in college who get pregnant be able to stay on campus and finish getting their degree. There are things happening that maybe we don't see because a lot of it is grassroots things that are happening. It's not going to be plastered all over TV. They're not going to say, hey, look what Students For Life is doing. They're doing this. No, they're not going to do that because they want death. So if you want to support and to be a voice for the voiceless, take the gifts that you have within you and see how you can use them for that. I have a gift in speaking. This is why I do what I do. You know, I can't do stuff in D.C. and all this. That's not, that's not who I am. That's not my calling. That's not my lane. But this is. Find your lane and do that. So if you want to receive healing, there is a Bible study, and this is the one I went through. It's called Forgiven and Set Free by Linda Cochran. It's an eight-week Bible study, really powerful to go through. Um, there's also one for fathers. It's called Healing a Father's Heart, also by Linda Cochran. There is um, a ministry in Pennsylvania um, called Deeper Still Ministries. It's a weekend retreat where if you've had an abortion, you, it, it can be husband-wife, it could be by yourself. It, I mean, there's a group that does it together um, annually. If you look up Deeper Still, um, wherever location you're at, um, you can get connected that way. 
If you want to learn about the black genocide and how abortion is affecting the black community, there's a really good documentary called Mahafa 21. It's free on YouTube. It's very long, but it's very educational and will be able to equip you on how this has affected us even till now. And lastly, there's support after abortion. Um, that is for those who are looking, um, maybe they don't want a Bible study necessarily, but they want something um, to be able to, for support after abortion and um, need healing that's specific for them. Um, that is a great organization as well. Practically speaking, the March for Life is coming up in a couple of weeks. And I've been honored to be able to speak at this march. Um, this is the biggest march we have every single year. Um, the 21st of March, um, you can come with your family and um, hear amazing speakers. Um, and I believe one of them might be Kirk Cameron. I think he's one of the speakers. And Matthew West will be doing music, and there will be a bunch of speakers. And you're, you're just so encouraged by thousands upon thousands of people who are standing for life. And then we march, and it is amazing. It's just an amazing experience. So um, that is also something you can do. Their theme this year, um, the next slide, is um, Equality Begins in the Womb. And that's basically what I've been saying. Um, if we do not know how to protect those in the womb, we should not be surprised how we treat life outside of the womb. And I am launching my book called Redeemed, My Journey After Abortion. This is not what the cover is going to look like, <laughs> um, but um, it should be coming out very soon. And um, the reason I wrote this book is for those who have walked through abortion, those who need healing and maybe have never shared it before, um, and also to help those who want to how to talk to someone who's been through it and equipping you um, to be able to meet um, a woman where she's at with this. And so I'm um, very thankful for that. And if you want to reach out to me social media wise, I'm on all of those platforms um, as well. Can I pray before the worship team comes? Jesus, I know you are the giver of life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know how we can make an impact in saving the lives of preborn babies and also caring for women who face unplanned pregnancy, Lord. That the church would know how to meet women in these crises. Lord, and I pray that women who find themselves pregnant would run to the church and not away. Lord, I pray for anyone who has had an abortion or they know someone who's had an abortion. Lord, I pray that your hand of grace and of mercy would fall upon them right now. You are not a God who condemns. You died on that cross to save us from our sins so that we don't have to pay for our own sins. You did that for the joy set before you, Lord. 
I pray no one, even men who may be paid for an abortion or encouraged an abortion, will walk out of here feeling condemned. But feel that the Lord wants me to be set free. Jesus, do the work that only you can do. Thank you, God, for your power. Thank you for your resurrected life that lives within us. That power is amazing, Lord, that you would choose us, God. Help us to be a voice for the voiceless. Help us to be a voice for those who cannot defend themselves. Help us not to be ashamed to be pro-life from womb to tomb. And I pray for the black community, Lord, that we would wake up, God. That we would no longer be stagnant and not grow, but that we would thrive in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray against up Planned Parenthood in these abortion clinics, I pray, God, that Roe versus Wade would fall in the name of Jesus. And that we would be a nation that protects our most vulnerable. In Jesus' name, amen.